Welcome to Auto Left Topic. As always, Brad is here, and we've got two of our favorite guests tonight. Uh, Mercedes and Andy Lilienthal are joining us. What's up, guys? Hey, hey how hey. you doing? Thanks for having us. How are you, Brad? I am excellent. How are you guys doing tonight? Doing well. I apologize. I thought I was ready, but I'm setting my headset up here so you don't have feedback <laughs> through my microphone. But that's okay. That's we'll all right. That's me. all right. We'll get we'll get back to you. It's a Monday. It's a Tuesday. It's been, it's Monday. been a comedy yeah, of errors this evening trying to get recorded, but it's all right. Uh, it's all right. Where is it's he going? Fun. So I think the last time we had uh, Andy on was we were talking about deregistering de JDM cars, mm -hmm. and that yep. that may have even been last summer. That's how wild. That's how long ago it was. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was a uh, because that I think I just got the Facebook memory that I posted up something about that and. Yeah, that took on a, uh, thankfully took on a life of its own and um, still still not fixed. But uh, uh, you know, it it'll be funny. I'll show up at a an event with my Delica, and they're like, "Yeah, did you hear that they're deregistering these?" I'm like, "Yeah, I wrote the stories." So <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's it's just interesting. But I even won an award for best news article from the Motor Press Guild on best uh, best news article on that. So. Um, it's good to be recognized, but good to have that continue to be front and center. So it's drawn a lot of interest. I know even when I was at Overland Expo West uh, earlier this year, one of the media came in and, and, you know, we just were talking about our Delica that was uh, featured in the Warren booth, our new one. And they said, oh, my God, did you hear that? They're deregistering them in Oregon. And I just about fell off my chair because <laughs> we live in Oregon and we've got three right hand drives. And I, you know, very quickly hopped on and this and this. And he's like, yeah, I read an article and I think it was through Gear Junkie. And and uh, we established it wasn't Oregon. Thank God. Went around um, Portland. He right, right. Yeah, <laughs> probably. <laughs> exactly. But he, he had skimmed the article and thought it was Oregon and not Maine, the state of Maine. And so uh, he, he felt very badly because he almost uh, gave me a coronary. But, um, you know, at least it's it's uh, it's spurring interest. And, you know, hopefully something can be done about it. Right. Yeah, we have we have another friend who's fighting it pretty hard out in Rhode Island, not specifically for delicates, but for K cars. So it's definitely yeah, right. a, a pretty uh, a pretty pretty big thing. There's there's not just two of you. There's a good number, especially in Oregon. There's a ton of delicates up there, so that would affect a lot of people heavily financially. Yep. Yes. Yeah. Well, you can't register K cars here in Oregon. It's kind of been like that. You as far as I, as far as I have known, it's always been that way. They've never allowed you to register the little K vehicles, um, but it's not something where you know you you read they let you register it and then they revoke your registration. Except that did just happen to a buddy of mine who was trying to get. He bought a, a Pajero Mini and um, in Oregon, was, right? Yeah, and. He and I've had a lot of discussion about this, and he was saying that yeah, you know, well, what they really need is this, this one piece of emissions paperwork, and so on and so forth. And sure enough, he got it registered, and then like the next week, he got a thing saying that he had to take it off the road because it wasn't compliant. But yeah, you know, the verbiage sounds like I don't know why they would allow any vehicle that doesn't have federal vehicle, federal motor vehicle safety standards uh, compliance register but i i don't know i'm not i'm just gonna shut up about it so <laughs> <laughs> they're letting you do it so just don't kick the horn sounds pants. yeah exactly. sounds like another exactly. news story any <laughs> right yeah yeah i'd like and to keep, another news I'd like to keep this out of the news but anyway <laughs> yeah, right right yeah exactly all right so it's been a while 
since you've been on Mercedes, um, but you've done like a lot, a lot of cool things. Um, do you want to give us like a few minutes on what you did at the last Rebel Rally with the EV? Right, we right. didn't get to talk to you about that. Yeah, it's um, it's been a little bit. So in October of 2021, um, I partnered with Volkswagen of America, and I was the first team. My awesome navigator uh, Emily Winslow and myself were the first crossover all EV team to compete in the rally. And for those of you that aren't familiar with the Rebel Rally, it's all women. It's traditional navigation, and it's it's mostly all off road. So it's typically anywhere from 1,400 to 1,500 miles, not kilometers, miles off-road over eight day, uh, seven days of actual competition, but eight day period. Um, and it happens uh, usually in the Nevada and California desert. And you, uh, about 1,400, 1,500 miles later, end up in Glamis Sand Dunes, the famed uh, sand dunes where the old school uh, Star Wars was filmed. So if you guys remember the fighting uh, scenes and all that type of stuff that was um, that was uh, filmed somewhere down in Glamis. Um, but uh, yeah, we were the first crossover, the all-wheel drive crossover that was an all-EV to be able to compete. There was only one other full EV that competed. That was the Rivian, uh, the R1T truck. And uh, yeah, it was it was really neat. It um, you know I think Volkswagen of America they really wanted to showcase the all-wheel drive uh, ID4's capability. And that vehicle, the all-wheel drive variant, was just launched about three weeks before the rally. So the rear-wheel drive derivative uh, that was customized with the roll cage and lift and all that type of stuff ran the Nora um, rally. And so that was a completely different animal. And that one was um, the legendary uh, racer and rallier, uh, Tanner Faust, was at the helm for that uh, or at that. So um, this one is a lot more of a time-speed distance type of a competition with map and compass. Um, you know, at or below posted speed limits on public roads or trails. So completely different rally than the go fast, go hard, go long type of Nora situation. So um, it was an honor uh, to be a part of that. And my um, my navigator, Emily Winslow, we did great. We finished the rally strong. We never needed any um, any toes back because we ran out of range. Although sometimes we thought we were maybe going to run out of range um, and we had no mechanical issues. Um, we threw a bunch of rocks and uh, I think the, the vehicle did great. That's excellent. That, the Nora. Uh, oh, go ahead. Sorry, Andrew. Sorry. No, go ahead. It's the Nora competing one. It's Tanner Faust. That was the blue one, correct? The blue color? Yes. That was the dark blue yeah. one with the uh, white ID4 livery on it. Okay. That's cool. I wound up, I got to see both vehicles, unfortunately, not in competition, but at a show uh, a few, maybe six months ago, they had brought both of them out to an all electric vehicle show. Uh, and they nice. still were covered in the dirt. They were still covered in the dirt from your race. So they didn't, they didn't clean them at all. <laughs> But it was I treated it as it. best as I could. <laughs> yeah. I've never still, seen the Nora Both of them were very. Person. Yeah, they had they had them side by side. It was kind of cool. Oh, I would have loved to have seen that. Yeah, I've I've, I've only seen photos. Um, and of course, I uh, you know had a couple of awesome hours behind uh, the wheel with Tanner Faust uh, the day before we kind of kicked things off at the Rebel Rally. He was there with Team VW um, Corporate, and he he gave Emily and myself uh, kind of driving tips and tricks as far as EV off roading because. Up until that point, uh, Andy and myself just uh, we piloted an um, a PHEV, so plug-in hybrid, uh, which was the four by e Jeep Wrangler Rubicon, uh, with the exception or with the okay of uh, Jeep Corporate to take it off road here in, in Oregon. But that was about what twenty miles of range, I think, and um, we did about nine miles or so off road with it. So 
you know, to do a 1,500-mile rally all off-road in the middle of nowhere, that's a little bit different. So Tanner and the team were, were great and instrumental in getting us prepared on to how to drive an EV delicately and gain as much range back as possible because you can gain range. It's just how you do it, especially off-road. Yeah, my, my next question was to be how did that compare with driving a gas vehicle? So you had to really monitor your range. Yeah, it was completely different. Uh, Emily and myself were faced with multiple ra uh, rallies in addition to the main rally. So not only were we uh, challenged against range, we were challenged against uh, ground clearance. We were the lowest vehicle that were there and uh, we were stock height, SAMs and aluminum and Kevlar skid plate. So we were 6.7 inches factory um, height above the uh, ground, sands the, the thickness of the skid plate. So we just tossed a bunch of rocks out of the way and, and Emily was a great spotter as far as getting me down some trickier and up trickier sections of, of the trails. Um, but uh, yeah, in addition to that, just making sure that we were cognizant of all four wheels, the corners, the underbelly, of course, because that's where the battery pack lays uh, and just really were very extra cautious and extra careful of the vehicle itself, its mechanics, as well as its range uh, while we we're doing the off-road uh, rally. That's very cool. It's it's pretty cool you be able to look back at this and, and see that you're kind of a pioneer of EVs, I guess, right? Because it's still pretty early in EV life, right? It is, it is. And, and you know, I, I would love to do that again. So if there's any EV manufacturers or any OEs that are out there that uh, have an all, all electric car, whether it's an all wheel drive or in, you know, four by four, um, or even just on road to do an endurance rally of some sort or competition or just even a drive, it's so new still. And whether you're partnering off grid with a company like uh, like uh, Renewable Innovations out of Utah, they were the ones that supplied power for us for the Rebel Rally or any other entity, or maybe it's public chargers along the way and you find out which ones aren't broken and which ones you can use and that's part of the story. Um, I'd love to do it again. I, I think that, yeah, being thrust into a, a segment of a very early pioneer EV off-roader, that was a pretty cool thing and I'm, I'm still writing about it. I'm literally <laughs> still writing about it almost a year later. That's excellent. So the, the charging network they brought to you, how is that powered? How do they put a solar thing or some kind of a biofuel? So, yeah, so they, yeah, that's that's a really good question. So they had um, two different entities. They had a semi truck that basically had, I believe it was six stations to be able to power EVs or the PHEVs because there are different um, plug in hybrids that also competed. But of course, they had gasoline to fall back on. We had nothing to fall back on. Um, and that was to have been and can be supplied by solar. But unfortunately, I think something had happened with that truck that um, had the solar. And so they ended up having to uh, to power that part of it with the diesel generator. That was not the intent, um, but it can run off of solar. And so they also do have units that are portable to run off of hydrogen, which is a cleaner fuel. Um, the base camp part of it was all renewable. And they have these these really interesting um, they're solar butter, not butterflies, um, solar flowers. sunflowers that kind of open up and follow the sun. There's a, a pair of them and uh, they follow the sun and they are on this huge trailer and they powered a base camp. So their their whole thing is to get close to net zero as you can as far as actual consumption of the base camp and of the charging uh, facilities as possible. So um, Renewable Innovations is again out of uh, Utah and then Rebel Rally, you know, they're doing their part or they're trying to do their part to be as sustainable as they can be. Well, it's funny because you're, you're, we're so early on that 
you, you wonder how that works. And, you know, maybe in the future that we'll be able to be fully, you know, fully renewable charging the whole time and out remote, you know, remote charging that's renewable, but you know, it's just, it's too early to expect it to be that yet. So I know some people right. are going to go, Oh, you used a diesel truck. Well, it is unfortunately, you know, technology moves at the pace technology moves at some things move faster than others. So the fact that you're right. out there able to compete in the electric vehicle is still cool. Even if we did have that one little, one little hiccup there. So that's, that's pretty cool. Though. Well, and I, yeah. Right. And I, and I, you bring up a really good point is, is, you know, that's the pioneering part of the technology, right? Is, is to be able to pioneer these EVs on road, off road and remote surroundings, wherever it may be, but to get the infrastructure to catch up whether you're, uh, you know, portable, towable, I was trying to say portable and towable, um, or, a, you know, fixed, um, you know, drop-in stations that are hydrogen powered or, or what have you. There are different um, fuel alternatives. There are different um, charging alternatives, but until that all catches up, it, it is going to be the let's, let's test the cars and trucks and see how they do. And then, um, you know, progress with that technology and the infrastructure will then catch up hopefully and be able to suffice on the back end. Yeah. It's not worth investing in that technology unless we know it's a, a provable thing, a workable thing. So it makes sense. Cool. Yeah. I mean, some people think that it's a cart before the horse. Some people think, you know, opposite. There's a lot of opinions that are out there, but to be somebody that's actually tested it um, and driven an EV off-road and even Andy with his time with a four by E, I mean, in all electric mode, that was a really interesting animal. I mean, wouldn't you say, Andy? Just yeah, the you know the instant torque that you get from yes. from yep. uh, an EV can be pretty incredible off road. You know where you want slow, quick. Excuse me, slow, quick, slow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you want slow, quick movements. No, you want uh, you know slow, methodical movements. You know when you're looking to place your tire on a rock or whatnot, and but you've got all this all this power, and so. Uh, yeah, it's uh, it's it's pretty pretty neat. I think that uh, I think there's quite quite a future for it. So I know we uh, we also got turned on to um, what is the all electric rally raid thing we were watching? Do you remember? All it was, electric rally raid. Yeah, there's an all. Oh, yeah. Oh my god, it's a dumb name. Called. I forget what it's called. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we got we've, we've talked about it. We've talked about it before. It's it's yeah. pretty it's pretty crazy. It's amazing. Buggies. Yeah, the buggies. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. And like they do it all in like these you know places in the world that need like attention and whatnot and for for environmental reasons and whatnot. And, but oh, uh, I know it's you're but talking it was, about the one uh, that's in Sahara, right? Or they over, did one overseas. there. I think they did one in Iceland. I think they did one. Not the Bangor in, rally, is it? No. no, it's it's a series. It's called I, Extreme I, E. Extreme oh, yeah, E. God. I that's was going to say, it. like, oh my God, why is my mind Extreme crazy? E. Yes, yes, right. Which sounds like a hell of a party drug, but that's not what it is. <laughs> well, those are like um, million dollar cars, I think. Yeah. But I mean, this is, yeah, it's, it's the, you know, it's like the Formula One of electric off road vehicles, I think. But, but yeah, the, the, it was a blast to watch them. It was great racing, <laughs> you know, and, and they had. Yeah, it's, it's really good. They, they don't care either. They just racers they... too. Yeah, I think and, Tanner yeah, Faust is one of them. Tanner Faust so. was one of them. Yeah. Christina Gutierrez, who ran a um, Dakar. Um, uh, Sebastian Loeb. Sebastian Loeb, yep. Yeah. So, but all kinds of really, really top tier drivers. And it was a lot of fun. I don't care. You know, ra good racing is good racing, whether it's powered by, you know, you know dinosaur juice <laughs> or, or volts or whatever it is. Like, good racing is good racing. 
And well, it helps push the technology because they give the they have the budget to try right. stuff, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. If you're with something that that's you know is yeah. such a big name and in very expensive vehicles, and you know, but you know, I look at these people that are doing like Tesla swapped, you know, crazy what were ice engines, and they're you know these vehicles they're putting in, um, you know, EV engines and or not engines, uh, motors. motors and powertrains to give them new life, right? And it's such an interesting dynamic of whether it's on road or off road. You know, especially if you're off road, sitting there in silence, and you might be lucky if you hear a little bit of a whir from the engine or engine. Gosh, I keep saying engine. I'm so used to talking about ISA vehicles lately, but motors, um, and you just hear the crunching of the rocks underneath your tires. You hear the wind. You hear just you know the slight little scratch. You know if you're pinstriping accidentally. You know with, with vehicles or a sagebrush against the side of your vehicle. You hear those sounds. And it's, it's such an interesting thing because you're not really used to that when you're hearing a banging and clanging of a four cylinder or a six cylinder that's next to your you know, side and, and your hood. Yeah, you hear, the, you hear the flexing of the suspension creak and, oh, yeah. and these things you're like, whoa, you're just not used to it. But anyway, it's, it's, a, whole, it's a thing that's and cool. I think it's going to become more of a thing. And we hope to be involved in it you know, again in the future. I, I'm My- very grateful to VW for giving me that opportunity to partner with them. My dream is that Mitsubishi builds up four-wheel drive electric delica oh heck oh, yeah yeah <laughs> we'd be all over that Jeez. yeah like quit it and with then the sells it here <laughs> yeah with, right like you put four-wheel motors in there have super good ground clearance mm. oh you're talking gosh. my language <laughs> hey that's yeah. gonna be like alcan you're, 2026 maybe me likey yeah <laughs> to give it a little retro vibe to it i mean come on well, have you seen what Hyundai has been doing recently with like yeah. some of their stuff where they've been doing these like retro concepts and, and all this? And it's like, what is this? Like I saw, I don't know how, I don't know if it was real or if it was just a fan rendering of a um, Hyundai Galloper that they were going to oh, come up cool. with. And it was like, oh my God, like it's this 80s, you know, retro Hyundai 90s retro Hyundai Galloper. I think I've only seen one in real life. I've only seen one once. Yeah, that was life. yeah, I was with you when I it saw was it. In British Columbia. Yeah, it was so cool. I talked to that guy actually at the BC Overland Rally. Did you? This oh, year. awesome. Anyway, such a small world. Rabbit hole. <laughs> <laughs> We're full of them. Well, yeah. There's only so many of us that are into weird, old, esoteric Mitsubishi off road vehicles. I know. So My it people. It doesn't people. surprise me you know them. Yes. <laughs> so. Excellent. So are we, uh, we're, we're here to talk about a different rally today, I think. Right, Andrew? Well, or a different... before we get to that, I do want to hear about Mercedes drove the great race. Oh, did you? I completely forgotten about. Yeah. So I, I kind of want to hear about that, too, because that's like right up our alley as well. Yeah, we're all full of rallies and nonsense and frivolry. Frivol- frivolry. <laughs> frivolry. Ladies and gentlemen, you hear it here first. We've coined a new word, frivolry. I'm still, I'm still under, trying to it's catch up It's a combination between frivolous and chivalry. Something like that. Being no, I'm politely still trying frivolous. to catch up on a lot of, a lot of sleep and a, a mild heat exhaustion that I got back from the rally. But um, yeah, in, 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 um, in all seriousness, I was one of the women, one of three women uh, drivers and mentors for... Uh, an all-female student team that was uh, on behalf of the RPM Foundation, which uh, it's a nonprofit foundation that focuses on restorative preservation and mentorship for young students to get into the auto restoration uh, segment. And so they had asked me to be one of the drivers, and I was also there on behalf of uh, media, being media and a journalist. And um, 
we uh what was it uh, the 18th of june so just what this last week um left rhode island warwick rhode island and drove about 2300 miles so it was uh let's see nine nine days 10 states and about 2300 miles and the lemay america's auto museum in tacoma washington was extremely kind and lent us a museum car it was a 1966 uh, v8 289 ford mustang bright red ford mustang so I had the pleasure uh, and was very humbled to be part of the team to uh, pilot that vehicle and help the team uh, with very two talented uh, navigators that are students, um, Kinsey Wilson and Olivia Gadjo, uh, and they shined during the competition. We had some stalling issues and some mechanical mishaps that we were working through the, the majority of the race. But you know what? You know, we took our, our time. We, we did our fixes. We tried to troubleshoot what we could. And, and the car was was great. And, you know, we worked together so well as a team and we finished strong. And uh, we finished on our own power. So it was great. And I couldn't be more proud of the team. That's very cool. That's always been a bucket list event to do for, I know for me, and probably for Andrew as well, being vintage car people, the the desire to take them on long road trips is just, it's too strong sometimes. So I I, I would <laughs> absolutely no, was- love to do that event. Yeah. It was absolutely I'd love to fascinating. Do I've, I've got, right. I literally, yeah. as of what, maybe 10 minutes before this podcast, <laughs> finished through um, reviewing 4,000, about 4,000 uh, photos and videos that I took. Um, so, of course, I was there as media on behalf of uh, uh, the New York Times and would be a writing piece for them and, and potentially other publications, um, in addition to being a competitor. Um, but it was so neat. There were about 130 or 140 teams. I need to get the final answer as to who was there and who finished, but it was approximately those amount of teams. And they had things as as early as Model A's that were from 1908. They had um, the wandering uh, tributaries of Finland. Finland yeah. um, they had a 1918 American La France, or yeah, uh, mm-hmm. yes, American La France. I'm, I'm still learning my classic cars, so forgive me. Um, Brass era stuff is hard. <laughs> oh, there, there's, there's so much stuff, and that's not my wheelhouse, so I was, way out of my comfort zone, but it was so interesting and fascinating, the camaraderie and the community of those people. And and, um, it just, because you have such a unique and older car, each vehicle has to be 1974 uh, 1974 of age or older. So, you know, and, and I think you get more points the older you are as far as your vehicle and your team. Oh, is that right? And I, I believe that. so, yes, okay. I believe so. Okay. So the cool thing is, is I had no idea how many families did it. It was fascinating. Everybody that I talked to just have impromptu interviews. It was a grandfather with his granddaughter and grandson, and they're like 16 and 17 years old, and he's had this vehicle for 52 years or, you know, all sorts of stuff. And I just, I, I honestly could write a book. I don't know how I'm going to fit this all in like what 1200 words, but I'm going to try. Well, I got a question. So just out of curiosity for you guys, knowing the qualifications, you have to have a vehicle 1974 or older. What vehicles would you guys take? Oh, that's a good question. Well, Andrew's cars are out. <laughs> so <laughs> I'd have to, yeah, I have to use something else, but uh, I mean, maybe my dad would let me borrow or maybe he'd do it with me. He's got a 34 Buick. Oh, oh, cool. 38. Sorry. 38. 38. 38 That's Buick. very cool. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. So that would be kind of cool. And I happen to have a 1974 Dodge Colt that's still on the East Coast that has to come to the West Coast. So what better way to get it there than competing or in the cross country rally? 68 Mustang. Oh, Camaro. Oh, Camaro you have. Camaro. Camaro. Yeah. Yeah, that's <laughs> or the 68 cool. Mustang. Either way, any of them. I would probably do it in the Colt because. 
Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, um, I could tell you one thing that next year's rally is from, I believe, Fort Fort Augustine or, or somewhere um, close to there in Florida. And that goes all the way to Colorado. Oh, St. Augustine? St. Augustine. Wow. I believe. So Florida to Colorado, they're still working out the route, but that's what the tentative next year's rally route is going to be. What's the cost involved to enter this? Do you know? That's a really good uh, question. I want to say about 6000 and okay. I'm not sure. I think that's separate from hotel rooms and whatnot. Of course, teams, yeah. which is all student team, they're all students. So there were seven teams that wanted to, uh, there were all students that wanted to compete. Four of them did. Uh, the students part of it, their costs were all included because of grants and because of the X Cup uh, scholarships and, and you know monies that are available to be able to help the students because they wanted them to have a great experience and just even get that much more excited about the motorsports and in auto industry as a whole. And then us as as you know adult like mentors and drivers, then you know we had our costs associated with uh, being part of the team. Excellent. Well, Andrew, we should figure I out. I love the idea of the seventy four sponsorships. Right. It's a rally style car. It does be good in a road yes. rally. I'd yes. love it. Yeah. I, that, I think that'd be awesome. Right. Well, nobody asked me, but I'd choose a 1974 Dodge Tradesman to a 400 with a 360. But that's just me. <laughs> I want an old Willis. I want a flat fender. A flat fender would be amazing and terrifying. But it would be absolutely <laughs> terrifying. But um, yes. You might as well take a motorcycle at that point. Yeah. Cool. Well, Excellent. before we get to the main topic about the alcan what do you have any other uh do either of you have any other adventures coming up uh, yeah have either of you done or... any have any of you done any of my bucket list trips other than the ones you've already talked about yeah probably, <laughs> probably not i i was at the northwest overland rally and the bc overland rally um which are always a, amazing events they're super fun as both a vendor and as a participant they keep them small and intimate and they're a lot of fun it's actual people who really enjoy travel and vehicles and sharing stories over beers and campfires and it's super fun and then uh we're both headed to the overland the uh, the inaugural overland expo pnw this event which is a uh, very large overlanding uh centric show and uh so we'll be doing that this week but i've had the delica at all the vehicle at all the shows so that's been fun well, in the Alcan 5000 rally, uh, the Pajero that we uh, piloted in 2020 for the winter Alcan 5000 rally, that will also be at the Pacific Northwest PNW show. Um, that's near uh, Bend, Oregon, by the way, this coming weekend. Um, it's called Overland Expo Pacific Northwest. And so uh, our Delica van will be in the Warren booth, but then the Alcan 5000 Pajero we took will be in the Light Force USA booth. Sweet. Cool. Yeah. But otherwise, you know, we. Uh, we did um, a big trip with the Delica last year, where we uh, we drove back to the. Uh, um, I I I shudder to use the term digital nomad, but we did the <laughs> the digital nomad thing, and we uh, we went from here to uh, Wisconsin, and then uh, you worked from Wisconsin for a while, and then drove down to Los Angeles in the Delica, um, spent some time with Front Runner, uh, got a roof rack prototyped, and then drove up the. California coast back up yep. to Oregon. So that was a, that was a big old trip. That was a lot was. of fun, but uh, I don't know if that's a bucket list thing for, 
for you. Well, and we went to the Overland Expo <laughs> West show in May. That oh, yeah. was uh, that we took the Delicate down, had that in the Warren booth. That was the second major showing of it. Um, the first actual showing of that vehicle build in its current form uh, was Mountain West of last year, Sands, the front runner prototype rack that is now being sold uh, globally. Um, but that was at the Mountain West show in, in uh, oh, it had Colorado. The rack it. Did it have the rack? Yeah. Oh, it did have the rack. Yeah, yeah you're right. You're right. So that, that was the actual first showing of it. But then we were to have uh, showed it at Radwood and then go to West oh, last yeah. year and Andy threw his yeah, back out. Yeah, I slipped a disc. So that put my life on hold for about six months. So. Yeah, put our life on hold. And, and so we wanted to make sure he got better. And so this year we're kind of mostly back to normal and, you know, mostly after lots of, yeah, lots of PT and things. I know you said you you shudder to say, but I don't hate that term. Is it a term that's popular somewhere and and not cool because it works kind of? Oh no, a it's, digital it, nomad. No, it's I yeah. just associate it with it's like overused, right? Yeah, and like you know, I associate it with Instagrammers who are taking you know sex van selfies and just like yeah, I'm living this beautiful life uh, in my in my $400,000 Sprinter van and, you know, drinking artisan coffee on the beach and like, we're digital nomads. And it's like, I don't know, I get nauseated thinking about the term, but I, I love the idea of it. I really do. And I have, we, you know, having done it a couple, couple of times, you know, not for like years, but for, you know, weeks, I, well, I do, my, I do really love it. So, but um, my company I, I is, my, my company is being generous enough to allow me to live that life for a week in two weeks. So I'm going to call it nomadic from now on. So just for a week, but it's all right. I'll be, no, no, I'll be no, in no. Iowa and, for a know, week I'm working just, on the road. I'm probably just overly jaded or just because of the job that I have that, you know, requires me to see a lot of people's Instagram and, and all that stuff. <laughs> I, um, um, I, I guess I just get a little jaded, you know, and I, you know, working in the working in the overlanding sphere a lot, you know, I, you know, you hear a lot of the same themes repeated over and over. So it's, it's probably just jaded old man, Andy. So <laughs> oh, stop because you know, somebody's going to coin that as a hashtag. <laughs> yeah, whatever. So, but no, I honestly, I absolutely, I do a, a love and adore the idea of being able to work where you want, when you want in, oh, a, in a vehicle, all that stuff. We, when we were in New Zealand, we did this, we didn't really, we weren't really working, but you know, we had the Sprinter van for two and a half weeks around New Zealand and it was amazing. Um, but you know, I had written a, I wrote a piece for crankshaft culture, our website called, um, van life can be amazing, but it can also be terrible. And what you don't ever see by the way, out of this stuff is the, is when, you know, why does, why does your, your gray water tank is empty. Your black water tank is empty. Your trash is empty. And yet the van still smells like cooked onions for some reason. And like, you can't figure it out. Or what and happens like, if you get sick? What happens if you get sick? Or, or you know? If, oh yeah. Or you're you're fighting. You know, if you happen to have an argument and you're stuck in a steel box with each other for three weeks straight, <laughs> or t or ten years straight. That that, that never happened. That yeah, yeah. No, no not at all. But I mean, you know, Andy brings up a, a great point: is it's not all it's cracked up to be. And so you know, when we do a silly little thing whenever we start a big trip or a major rally or something. We we pinky swear to each other. So pinky swear. Yeah, um, yeah. And so we literally talk about. You know, not killing each other, compromise, good communication, have fun, smile, don't, don't kill any little animals. Don't hit any animals. Don't hit any animals. Shiny you know, side up. Yeah, all that type of things. So rubber yeah. side down. But um, yeah, but anyway, there is truth yeah. to that, though. I yeah, mean, I, I just think that, uh, Yeah, I, again, I for the record, I think it's amazing. I love to do it. I think it's awesome. I just, 
there's just so many so many of the of the of the um what's the word um Oh, it's on the tip of my tongue. But anyway, so many of the, the words or so many of the phrases that get overused and thrown around a lot that seem to lose a little bit of their meaning being like, you know, are you digital nomading it if you're like sitting at McDonald's in Cincinnati? I mean, maybe. Or sleeping I mean, in the Walmart parking lot because you can't find, you know, anywhere else to go yeah. and you're broken down and you don't have any parts and they're coming in a week and you have no money or, you know, I think, it, that I think the us, digital but... nomad thing, not that, you know, now that we're on the topic of the van life thing, like, I, I just think that the term is often associated with some sort of glamorous road travel lifestyle, <clears throat> you know, um, versus the realities of, um, well, tonight we're, we're at, uh, we're at the flying J truck stop in Snowville, Utah. Again. Uh, you know, <laughs> because we can't find any, anywhere to actually park this thing. And, you know, I haven't done laundry in, in a week and I smell horrible. And, and our fridge, you know, our fridge, fridge just, doesn't you know, the, work. The and connection just broke and we can't find the part to be able to fix that. So our food is all stuff that we have to get thrown away. I mean, whatever it may be, it's just. Oh, we are just you know. Debbie Downers. <laughs> <laughs> On that note, let's talk I mean, about something more fun. I mean, honestly, if, if anybody described their actual life, van life or not, for the actual truth, nobody would want to live anywhere. A house or a van or anywhere. True. So. Right. Yeah. This is don't tell you that part, said, you know. I've yeah. said multiple times, van life is still real life, and yeah. you still have all the problems despite your glossy Insta- Instagram feed. Your, you know, you're drinking your your craft beer with the labels out so the camera sees it. All this <laughs> stuff, and again, I, I, you know, it's it's probably just me being, you know, shaking my fist at clouds kind of thing, but um, but I think for us, I do think it's amazing because I love to do it, but I guess I just don't. I, I just hear the, the phrases thrown around so much. Well, I think for Andy and me, you know, we, we choose to be, and I don't want to say a little more honest, but be a little bit more forthright with some of the realisms that we've had to face. I mean, we've written multiple articles about the not so fun and the not so pretty part of of traveling, um, you know, whether it's off the pavement or or on it and, and just going through some of the struggles. And But we choose to highlight that because we hope that it might still inspire somebody else to go through it knowing that there are challenges challenges along the way and it's not always always going to be yeah. you know pretty roses and sunshine and all this yeah. fun stuff i want to see an instagram account that's nothing but the shitty things about van life <laughs> <laughs> i don't know if i can say that on this show yeah you're fine yeah i mean I like hashtag uh, jayville landy you yeah. should you should start that instagram yeah i've <laughs> yeah. thought about like, it like shitty van life like we need another one to manage. Van life hashtag van life is terrible. Anyway. Nah, nah. There's a lot of great things. No, about. there really is. Anyway, main topic. We are here to discuss so, the Alcan. Yeah, you were doing the Alcan we had you guys on. Yeah, we had, well, we had you guys on. Oh, probably two years ago now. I think. Yeah, we talked yeah. about the Alcan Winter Rally. Yes, and uh, my favorite part was the sour toe. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, somebody actually remembers that. Somebody needs to go to my YouTube channel and watch my sour toe video that I put so much work into it. Yeah, it has like 86 views on it. Okay, anyway. I'll li- we'll link it. Nice. <laughs> That'd be awesome. Um, so, yeah, you guys ran the winter, but now yes. you're going to run the summer. So um, tell us about that. Yeah. So the, the summer Alcan rally starts in Kirkland, uh, Washington, home of Costco. And then uh, it also, uh, it, and then it goes as far north as Dawson City, 
which is where the sourdough cocktail is located. Which we may or may not go back to that place and may or may not do the sourdough cocktail again for version two. So it will dip into Alaska, like Skagway. Skagway, yep. And, um, and then it kind of cuts to the east and goes through Yellowknife and then in, in the, I believe that's Northwest Territories. And then, uh, or it could be Yukon. Telegraph Creek, yeah. uh, Quinnell, Yellowknife. Qu- I know that Quinnell they're out of order. Is, but- Quinnell, yeah, that's out of order, but... Um, and then finishes in Jasper, Alberta. So it's uh, 5,040 miles scheduled. That's if you're uh, en route the whole time. That is en route, no extra errands. But the actual rally itself is 5,040 miles. And that's and, over 10 uh, days too. Yeah, yesterday there was actually um, quite a bit of news that uh, uh, a section of Highway 97 in northern British Columbia washed away, uh, which is on the route. And, I was going to uh, ask you about that. Yeah, we got we got a whole huh. bunch of messages on Facebook. Laird Hot Springs, right? Laird Hot Springs, and uh, they uh, the 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 river, the Laird River, uh, uh, apparently washed this section out. And uh, but within I guess close to twenty four hours, they had some sort of one lane bridge put up. I can only assume that's got to be some sort of temporary bridge that they're able to span and there's a pilot car, but it's a major thoroughfare um, as major as you can get for that area for commerce and such. So they have to keep that open. They, they must have crews just, you know, at the ready during emergencies. What was that one grocery store that you showed me a photo of where literally everything was uh, gone out of the grocery store? A friend of mine, Robert, who lives up in, in Whitehorse had sent me an article about how, uh, the grocery stores were just cleaned out uh, with people because with with you know supplies because people were afraid they weren't going to be resupplied anytime soon. So they they wiped out a lot of the the supplies in in Whitehorse. Uh, but like I said, it's it's open again. But anyway, so uh, five thousand forty miles. We were told about thirty percent of that is gravel and dirt. So that's well over a thousand miles i think it was 1400 miles my my math is terrible no it's going to be at least 1500 if not more yeah uh so lots of gravel and dirt and you think oh well 30 percent that means 70 percent is tarmac but like thousand fifteen hundred miles of dirt just dirt so um, a lot of potholes and washboards yeah. i mean yeah you know at least with the 2020 winter um alcan 5000 you know we're running on um on studded winter tires right um, so they were, they had good traction, but you were on a blanket of ice and snow for the majority of the time. A little bit more give. And right. Then... It's a little bit more give, a little bit more cush, but this year it's literally going to just be dirt and gravel. And then whatever roads there are, a lot of the roads aren't in good condition. Right. And so the, the big deal for us this year too, is, um, we're partnering with Subaru of America and yep. they're providing us a, a Outback Wilderness to run the event in. So 2020, we had a 91 Mitsubishi Pajero with a 2.5 liter turbo diesel. And it did great. Never a problem. Anything like that. And uh, the thing that we learned on that 2020 rally was a crossover is really, really the optimal vehicle for these long distance rallies because you've got power, ground clearance, and they're comfortable. Uh, the Pajero had the ground clearance. It was comfortable, but it has 100 horsepower and 170 foot-pounds of torque. Well, they're both capable. I mean, both platforms are capable. Yeah, we're not rock but, crawling here. You know, we're, right. we're, we're looking for ground clearance so you can miss the pot, you know, go through the potholes, miss the rock in the road, that kind of stuff. The stuff that gets you flat tires, stuff that, you know, hits oil pans. 
and we're making miles. I mean, that that's the biggest thing. If, if you think about it, over 5,000 miles, but only 10 days. So, you know, you have to have a, you know, they have TSDs. Yeah, right. Let it let it sink in, right? So yeah. 5,000 miles, <clears throat> 10 days. You got to make some mega miles. And so like Andy alluded to, it's got power. It's going to be very comfortable. It's got nine and a half inches of ground clearance. It's got great suspension for off-road travel um, and, and among a lot of different creature comforts. And, and for us is um, the Alcan 5000 Rally. Yes, you make a lot of miles, but it's time, speed, distance competitions within it. That's very key. So that's if people aren't familiar with time, speed, distance or TSD rallies, it's at or below speeds. It's on public roads or trails. And you basically are given this big fat root book that says, you know, when you're within a TSD section, usually you start one at least once a day, if not twice a day, one in the morning, you'll say like, turn right on Smith Street, go 23 miles an hour for 0.29, you know, miles, turn left on Deer Drive, go 34 miles an hour, or those types of things myself as a navigator need to tell Andy where to go. I need to tell Andy where to continue. Well, she loves go. this because she gets and, to tell me where right, to right, go. Right, right. I can tell him where to go. But, yeah. um, but the biggest thing is, is to stay on route, on time, on speed, and do everything perfectly as best as you can. When you're done with that, those can last anywhere from 15 minutes to maybe half an hour or so. You might have to make up 400 miles of transit in order for you to make your late afternoon TSD, you know, or just time be done distance, or be done, evening. you know, we've had what, 500 miles or 400 and some miles, I think with on with one day of transit. That's a lot. So when we started, when we did the Alcan 5000 in 2022, we, 2020 also, we had registered late and they only allow 40 cars and we were car 39. And the way they stage them is <clears throat> car number one is out at 801, car number two is at, at 802, et cetera, et cetera. So we were out at 839. So you do your you do your TSD, that's fine. And then after your TSD, you have like a 500 mile transit to the next, <laughs> to the next Arctic town. And um, the problem is, is with that little power that we had, we oftentimes would get in late and like the restaurant was closed so we didn't get dinner freeze dried food again yeah granola bars and beef jerky on the menu and so this we're first of all i think we're car 25 or 26 so far we're 25 25 i think yeah so we'll be much more mid-pack or closer to mid-pack uh which is great and we'll have enough power that we can you know we can go the speed you know go the speed limit or a couple of kilometers over uh, so we can say like get dinner at night, which is, a you know, which is nice. And that's important, especially if you're rallying, you know, 10, 12, 14 hours a day, you get pretty hungry and then you still have to haul in all of your gear and you're up really early in the morning. because you have to load up all your gear. And, you know, many of the times we were out, what we're preparing and loading up at five in the morning, I think, yep. right? Yeah. So you don't get much sleep during these rallies. Boy, um, suddenly I'm craving some dehydrated breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> Mountain house, man, I'm telling you. Uh, do you know what color the car they're giving you is? I think it's, I think the it's cobalt that, blue. Yeah, that, that beautiful blue. blue. Yeah. Well, no. Okay. On July 11th, we are actually going to be getting said actual vehicle for a week, so that we can measure it out and uh, have a call with Subaru Corporate, one of their 
product planners or one of the product specialists. So they're going to give us an in-depth walk around while the vehicle's here, which is fantastic for us to really get to know the vehicle. Then it gets shipped back. And then if everything goes well with livery and everything, uh, we'll hopefully take receipt on August 8th. And then Andy and I will then uh, upgrade and, and do the final install of the aftermarket parts and then have it ready, uh, what, by the... I think we're leaving here the 20th or so, and then we're going to head up there for a yeah, day or two 20th, early. And then 21st. I think the 22nd is when tech inspection and stuff starts. And I think yes. the 23rd is the actual rally itself. That's correct. Next month. Oh yeah, I like that blue. I saw one uh, Sunday. Yeah, it was one Sunday. It was I was parked next to it. Took yeah. my kid to the park. Nice. Uh, they're pretty tall and big cars. Yeah, yeah. they have a 225, 65, 17 Yokohama Geolander ATs, uh, which is uh, the G1, G015s. I've run those actual, I had those v, uh, tires on my, on our first Dalakar 89 Star Wagon, and I really liked them. So, uh, yeah, we had it'll no have, with them. it'll have four of those and a full size spare, which is really nice. And that so, was exactly the same tire, uh, different size, but same tire that we ran with BW, uh, and the Rebel Rally. So yeah. we had absolutely no issues with them during the rally. It was great. I mean, nice, meaty tire. They're quiet on road yeah. if you're on road. <laughs> But it's a it's a really good tire. Yeah. What kind of modification is going to add to it? Ooh. So it's going to be just minimal stuff. I mean, the, honestly, the vehicle out of the box yeah. is completely capable of doing this. Uh, we'll be doing a variety of, yes. of actual so OE accessories. We'll, we'll too. be doing some OE accessories, including like their their Thule roof uh, roof basket. Uh, there we'll have the, the full skid plate package, uh, like the rubber mats and whatnot. But in terms of like actual aftermarket stuff, we'll have um, We'll have a, a, first of all, let's see. So we'll have a Fact 55 flat link, excuse me, flat, Fact 55 hitch link in the hitch. So if we needed to be pulled out of a ditch, we'll have that. Uh, we'll have a Rally Innovations light bar and then light force lights on it. Uh, we've been told it just doesn't get that dark that late up there. But when we did the winter one where we'd get dark at 4.30, having those aftermarket uh, auxiliary lights up front was a you had you had to have that and knowing that we're going to have a ton of gravel and you know dirt and potential a lot of dust even if it's during the daytime i know being able to have uh extra auxiliary lights really helps cut through that those dust clouds so we don't know how much it's going to rain or have rained wherever we go and how much silt we might encounter too so right so um, having light force lights uh on that uh rally innovations bracket is really going to help yeah, we'll have a set of Max Tracks minis up on the on the rack just Two in sets. case we get stuck. Yep. Uh, or any somebody else gets stuck and, and needs help. Uh, and then uh, Skosh, they make the magnetic mounts. They're sending some some stuff to hold our phones and our uh, our radios and some uh, electronic charging kind of things. So. And then I think we we also have uh, Warren has of course the company that Andy works for has a variety of different recovery gear. So along with Factor Fifty Five and Max Tracks, we're going to use. Um, you know, the different shackles, of, yeah, and shackles kind of and things. So, so. so it's real minimal kind of stuff, but it's all, it's all real practical things that we need. Uh, the winter Alcan, they require you to carry extra fuel uh, just because you're also fighting, say like survival. Uh, but uh, we're not going to have to worry about that so much unless we're worried about getting either eaten by mosquitoes or bears. And so um, I'm not sure we'll carry extra fuel. The vehicle has an 18 and a half gallon tank and, even with all the gravel we we would expect to get about 400 miles on our, on range and i think they want you to have at least 250 so i think we'll we'll probably be probably be good on that 
And I think a lot of it, if we decide to carry a jerry canister of fuel, it would be to help other people. Um, you know, there there are all sorts of different vehicles that run both rallies, you know, whether it's the winter or summer version, but there could be like old school minis, like old right-hand drive minis. Hertz that run Mustang. In, right, exactly, like a Hertz Mustang that's running. And actually they were, uh, Carl and Joan were one of the competitors at the Great Race Rally um, that I just finished with and I had a chance to see it. They ran the 2018 Alcan 5000 Summer Rally. And so all different kinds of vehicles. And some of these have really puny, small gas uh, gas tanks or fuel tanks. So it's, a, it's, again, it's the help each other type of a rally mentality. So, you know, everybody has at least one buddy car, if not multiple buddy cars. You have emergency communications, which are, which with our uh, Scotch mounts will house our rugged radios, uh, the handhelds that we have, and then we have antennas for elongated uh, uh, reach for it. Um, but just if you even if it's a local that you that you see that's pulled over i mean heck in in winter we helped semis you know we we stopped down by what was it whitehorse right that we um there's a semi that was stuck trying to go up oh, the hill no that was outside eagle plains with, oh eagle plains that's right so we went down there and told them to to you know call a grader or a dozer to come up and be able to help that semi truck go up the hill i mean the winter um, thing is is it's i mean there's it's a fight for it's survival, survival. <laughs> i mean you really got to be careful up there so when well, we packed we packed overnight the rally during the winter um says you have to pack like you need to stay in your vehicle in which some people have stayed in their vehicles in the winter so, you know, mega huge warm sleeping bags, um, food, fuel, all that type of stuff, uh, batteries, you know, a lot of that has got short, shorter life when you're there over the winter. Um, but the Alcan 5000 rally happens like the Olympics. So it's every other year winter, then every other year summer. It's just like the winter or the ah, okay. cadence. Speaking to other competitors who have done both. I mean, I don't, I don't want you to jinx your event, but it sounds like this is going to be less of a intense rally than the winter rally is what's what's the main obstacle in the summer rally other than yeah. just navigating whereas, whereas snow yeah. is obviously you know winter snow and cold what's what's the main right. obstacle to worry about in the winter and summertime <laughs> mosquitoes hangovers no. <laughs> what no, no i'm just kidding um, <laughs> that's a joke no, no i think well so road I, conditions. I, I do think that um people that i know have uh that have done both most people that I know prefer the winter one. I think it's just because it's a little bit more intense and it's just so, so different. Uh, the people that I know that have done the summer one, uh, you know, there can be a lot of, a lot of potholes, <clears throat> you know, the, the gravel, the gravel sections can be, you know, the roads aren't always super good. Didn't you say that there are more flats in the summer too? Yeah. I was told so, that there are more flats, you know, the roads, flat tires, you know, even though the roads may be all snow and ice in the winter, you know, Andy had to learn, you know, and we're both Midwest drivers and he's an excellent winter driver, but you know, you've got studs, you've got good traction, you know, with, and they groove the ice and they groove the roads up there. It sounds crazy, but they do groove the roads for, for added traction. But in the summer, you're regulated to whatever the roads actually are. And so they can be a lot more harsh in a vehicle. Yeah. And with that is I think, you know, we're going to have our full size spare, like Andy man, uh, mentioned, our, our G-Lander um, Yokohama that's going to be in the, in the spare tire well. But I think we'll most likely bring our Airb. We've got a um, spare tire kit too. Patch kit. Tire patch kit. So we'll bring that as well. I've never had to use it. So it'll be Not kind yet. of like, hopefully <laughs> there's a good YouTube channel uh, that I have reception up, for, up there for. I've watched but, that channel or enough uh, classes we should But yeah, they, just the... You know, plus if it's raining, there's mud and, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm hoping that, uh, you know, the fire season isn't bad because it can yeah. be a, you know, fire up there can be a problem. Well, um, and there's already fires up in that area. Yeah, it's, it's, 
been a pretty wet year up there, uh, which is good for fire danger. But, you know, British Columbia regularly gets lots of wildfires. And I think for the vehicle, uh, the Outback Wilderness will be donning lots of color of mud and dirt and silt and mosquitoes and all sorts of stuff. So it'll different. It'll have a different patina to it than it had <laughs> than our Pajero had with the winter uh, Alcan 5000. But for us, you know, we're excited to be able to document its its challenge along the way and figure out what we really love about it and what challenges we have with the vehicle. It's not. You know, we're competitors, yes, but we're also journalists and reviewers and media of the vehicle. So we'll be writing about everything, you know, crash course of 10 days, 5,000 miles, outback wilderness, and go. So um, it'll be really interesting, and I'm looking forward to that that opportunity. I guess it's really smart of Subaru to, they kind of saw what people were doing with their outbacks and just decided to come out with a model that sort of has all that stuff out of the box. So it should be pretty cool to see how it lives up to that with you guys using it. I agree. I think it'll, I think it's a, a platform that's you know obviously they've got a lot of rally and rally heritage, uh, you know all that extra ground clearance and, and all that. I think it'll be a, a very a very uh, optimal vehicle for this uh, for this event. We will let you know. Yeah, stay tuned. <laughs> as much as it pains me to say it, I mean honestly a decent crossover is all most people even need for the amount of off-road driving they do. Most people right, aren't going right. crawling. Yeah. Most people aren't going super deep into the woods. They're doing fire roads in their Tacoma with eight inches of lift and four grand worth of tires, and they just don't need it. I mean, right. it pains yeah. me to say it as not a fan of crossovers, obviously, where, you know, traditional SUV people and car people, but mm-hmm. for most people, that's, that's all you need. And this would be kind of a a neat way to prove that this is all you need. And I know that sports cars and stuff do this event too, but yeah, it's definitely interesting to, to, to see that whole trend of crossovers becoming what everybody's driving and what can you do with them? You don't really need, you don't need a Pajero. Yeah. You want a Pajero, no. but you don't need a Pajero. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's really, you know, it's that combination of ground clearance and, and, at least you don't really even need a ton of power. A cross track would be a cross track would be totally fine too. Um, yeah. But uh, you know the idea is that you've got something with with ground clearance and that can go, you know, 120 kilometers an hour. And I think for us is no matter what you drive, whether it's a four by four, an all wheel drive, or even a front wheel drive, if it's an endurance rally or just you know gravel roads to get to the nearest trailhead understand your vehicle and its limitations and its capability. We can't stress that enough, no matter what it is that you have that you're driving. Yeah, you can get in trouble in an SUV just as easy as you can get in trouble in a crossover. So, Oh, for right. sure. Yeah, be, exactly. be prepared. A lot of it has to do with, you know, ability. And, you know, I, I always I always find it funny when somebody will come up to me in my Pajero and they're like, whoa, I can't believe you, you know, you were able to get through that. I'm like, well... Yeah, it's not my first rodeo either. I've been doing this for 15 years. But you we know? know its limitations and it's, right. it's got yeah, limitations I mean, I'm, I'm, for sure. <laughs> for sure. But, you know, you get, yeah. we, we talked a lot about, about about this phenomenon, by the way, at Easter Jeep Safari this year, which of which I go to with Warren Industries. Uh, the ability to uh, just buy into off-road capability these days. You know? Oh, gosh. I mean, it wasn't that long ago where you had to build something that was capable out of the box that you could do a lot of off-road trails in. And now you can simply go to the G 
Jeep dealer, the Ford dealer, or, or whomever, you know, it doesn't have any, any of those, and you can simply plunk down your money and you've got something that's extremely capable, way above mm-hmm. your driving limits in many cases. And one of the coolest things about Jeep, for instance, is, is, you know, building their Rubicon. And, you know, many years ago, it was close to 20 years now, and I, I wrote an article in the New York Times and also in Forbes uh, Wheels uh, section online. Um, there was a very vocal small group of engineers at, at uh, Jeep that basically said, hey, you know, they coined themselves a lunatic fringe. And they were on the trails. They were the ones, they were the enthusiasts, like the original enthusiasts that said, gosh, you know, people are lifting them. People are, you know, adding bigger suspension and this and that. And, and you know, uh, uh, you know, disconnect sway bars and all these types of things to make them more off-road capable. We want to build an OE factory version of that Jeep. And Jeep finally listened and said, okay, fine. We'll, we'll do a, ri- uh, a limited run of Rubicons. I think it was, what, two or 3,000 units. And they, they wanted to taper it off from then on. And it like basically caught like wildfire and surprise, uh, yeah, surprise. Hey, there's a market for it. And so um, it's been interesting to see the evolution of the Jeep Wrangler Rubicon. And now the 392 with the, you know, the, the bigger engine, the 392 horsepower engine and, you know, uh, and just some of, cubic engine. Or, yeah, cubic engine um, and some of the other, uh, you know, concepts that, they, that they've come out with based on the Rubicon. So it's, it's just an interesting evolution in, in how they started it all. Mopar in general has always been a little uh, loosey-goosey with the rules, so it doesn't surprise me they're the ones that built that. I mean, they're also the ones that will sell you a 800-horsepower car, so it doesn't surprise me. <laughs> Still waiting for the Pacifica Hellcat, just so you know. <laughs> yeah, we, we, we all are. We all are. I know. Have I got a render for you. That's right. Yeah. All four of us. So. It's coming. I'm sure it's coming. Cool. Uh, I, have a, I, I have a question that's for both of you. Um, what is it about combining vehicles and the outdoors that you love? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I, I think that for me, um, I grew up road tripping with my family and whatnot. And I've always, I've always enjoyed that Mercedes and I met on a road trip, uh, not to the outdoors, but to hot import nights in Chicago in 2000. Um, there's a throwback for a lot of people, but anyway, um, <laughs> as, as I've gotten into, you know, over the last 15 plus years, gotten into more outdoors um, vehicle, the combination of outdoors and vehicle. Like, so, oh yeah, I like to go camping. That's fun. Oh yeah, I like to drive around in a four-wheel drive. That's fun. And then you can combine those two. And for me, and I, I, I'm i going to guess I'm going to steal Mercedes' answer here, which is... <laughs> I'm sure. Which is um, the ability to, for me, is what I love is the ability to go to certain places that like 99% of the population is never going to see. Ditto. You know, I mean, when, when you are able to go to, there might be other four wheel drive enthusiasts or other outdoors enthusiasts there, but uh, outdoors enthusiasts there, but um, that ability to get somewhere and see stuff that you just know that the, the masses aren't going to be able to get to it's a really interesting feeling and it's a really, really, for me, it's, it's so cool. Um, yeah. And there is this sort of, I don't want to say darker side to it, but where, you know, you get, there's a lot of controversy about this now with social media where somebody will go to this really cool place and take the photos and tag it and all this stuff. And then suddenly it becomes overrun with, with other people who are going there. But um, I, I do, you know, even without, you know, 
I, I don't tag places online, but um, the ability to go to some really cool places that others can't see. That's my long answer. Well, it ditto 99.999% of everything that Andy just said. But I think for me, it was the wanderlust as a kid, you know, uh, a first generation kid that grew up in an unincorporated town uh, in central Wisconsin on a lake. And just remembering, you know, remembering my visions of the, the trees, the pine trees that were probably maybe 100 feet tall. And I was thinking that they were like half a million feet tall and the, the waters being like the ocean and all sorts of things being elevated and just more grandiose. But having that same wanderlust, but transitioning it into something that you can have a different carrier, whether it's not your feet per se, but it's a vehicle to be able to help you get out there to realize and reconnect with how you were as a kid as a child. And it doesn't matter if you're in Czechoslovakia or if you're in the US or if you're in Zimbabwe, it doesn't matter. It's the whole wanderlust of connecting with your past and, and preserving the potential future, you know, and, and helping to do what you can to tread lightly and, and carry those principles forward and, and help teach and enlighten other people to, you know, pick up trash wherever you are and, and don't drive off road, if, you know, drive on designated trails and trying to really, you know, practice those types of principles along that way while you're out there to help keep those trails and those visions open for the future. Cool. But ex- excellent answers. That's yeah, uh, they're really great answers. I didn't, kind I didn't have long think, answers, but <laughs> yeah, well, no, it's, it's I mean, yeah, I, I, I certainly always had that. Like it's cool to be where other people don't go. That's the simple yeah, right, version right. of what, what I would have, what I would have said. So it's definitely a little deeper than that, but yeah, you know, it is, it's it is cool always to- neat. It's cool to meet other people who also feel that way, you know, and uh, I, I think that, uh, it, you know, not to get not to go down memory lane too far, but yeah, right the, the second the second <laughs> Northwest Overland Rally, I think that was in like 2013 or 2012 or something like that. And there was this presentation by these two South African travelers who just came by. Well, I mean, it wasn't like happenstance. But uh, they were in the area, and the organizer Ray Highland, he had them do this presentation, and uh, I remember Mercedes was with me, and and we were just like, oh my god, this is amazing! Like they they get to see all these amazing parts of the world, and they're doing it in a you know in a in a vehicle. The vehicle is there, well, for lack of a better phrase, the vehicle is the vehicle that actually gets them there. You know, and and it wasn't uh, anything crazy. No, it was like a Nissan with it was like a Nissan Frontier with a four wheel pop-up camper on the back. Right. And, but they were doing the, they were doing the Pan American highway. And I'm like, these people have been up and down, Af- up and down the coast of Africa multiple times. They've been all over the world. And, and I'm thinking like, man, that's, that's what I want to do with my life is I want to see the world by car. Isn't that where I turned to you after that presentation? And I said, in a deadpan face, we need to talk. Yeah. Yeah, that was it. Was a moment. It was it was a gestalt. It was a a a a, a an aha thing. Being like, I think this is what I like to do. Like this is a lot of fun. And for us to find ourselves in an industry, you know, in a really long roundabout way of getting ourselves there, mainly me, um, but following our passion and seeing where life can take us, but doing it in a, a meaningful, productive way. Um, and doing it while we still mentally and physically are able to do it. Um, I think that's the biggest catalyst. I mean, Andy and I, you know, we're not getting any younger. I sound like I'm an old crotchety person. We're like, rah, rah, rah. But, get you off know, my lawn. <laughs> get off my lawn. Um, but, you know, both our fathers died at very different times. 
Um, mine died at 98 at age 66 and his died at, at 2014 at age 66. Well, I'm 20 years away. I'm like 19 years away from when they died. I don't want to die that young. And if I do, if I die tomorrow, I want to make sure that I've seen the world and I spent my time with Andy doing it. Yeah. I want to t- spend yeah. my time with Andy doing it also. So, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I, it's uh, it's it's very much the same. You know, the interest of, the interesting thing about it is I feel like, especially these days, there's kind of two schools on in this kind of like overland thing or whatever you want to call it is, you know, you have the, this kind of traditional like, hey, I want to do a really cool trip and now I need to find or and or build the vehicle that's going to suit my travels. Mm-hmm. But I think lately there's been more of a, hey, I want to build a really cool vehicle and I might take some cool trips with it. Um, there's kind of like two different schools of thought on that. But I guess when I first heard about this, you know, vehicular world travel thing, I guess they call it overlanding these days, is, um, you know, it's like it's just it's amazing because that's what I liked to do. I mean, granted, it was an, it was mostly just on you know, and on pavement or whatnot, but going, you know, there are so we, we talk about this a lot. Like, I think there are, there are two kinds of people and there's nothing wrong with either one, but there are some people who want to see what's on the other side of that hill and are curious to see once they get there, what's on the hill behind that one. And they, they're just interesting, interested in exploring. And then there are people who are much more interested in just being in their, around their around their well yeah but like that almost has a negative connotation there are people that that just enjoy sticking around their their area and there's nothing wrong with either one of them but i i have always been i think mercedes has always been somebody who likes to explore and see what what other how other people live what other cultures are like and you know do that kind of exploration and it, it 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 kind of feeds me And I think for me, you know, I've spent many years, you know, whether it's um, high school, college and, and, you know, maybe shortly beyond is just I never wanted to change. I always wanted to be within my bubble. I always wanted the same type of haircut, the same type of this, the same food, same everything. And a lot of it was just, you know, meeting Andy and moving across the country, which was one of the best and most challenging things that I've done um, because my mother still lives in, in Wisconsin and. Um, you know, my sister is in Germany with her two children, but uh, I think the, the further I progressed, the more uncomfortable I wanted to get, because if I felt like I was uncomfortable, I was learning. And if I was failing along along the way, then I knew I had to get up, you know, um, dust off my shoes and pull myself back up from my bootstraps or whatever have you. I always say the, the sayings wrong. That was actually um, the right way. Was it? Yes, I got one right. Um <laughs> <laughs> but that being said, it is just learn from those missteps and just say, all right, well, okay, if this doesn't work, then let me try this and let me try that. And I mean, lo and behold, now it's like, I, for instance, I finished the great race. Have I ever driven a, a classic car? Well, I mean, <laughs> you know, no. no, not really, much less in a rally that is 2,300 miles and being one of the drivers for an all student female team and, and you know, you know, being successful in that process. But it, it's really taught me a lot about the value of people, both young and old. I, I think I really do believe that one of the reasons why we like doing these long rallies is, is they do push our comfort zones and they, and they, and they feed that idea or feed that want for both travel and for car things and, and meeting people it's, along and, the way. And, yeah. And God, it sounds so cliche, but really the people are just, 
are some of the reasons, uh, the main reasons we do this stuff. It's this, you know, you're, you're among fringe lunatics. You know, we're all, we're all doing this for a very similar reason. One thing I, I say is, you know, we've kind of coined this term, we're united by horsepower. And it doesn't matter what kind of vehicle it is. I don't care if it's a if it's a boat, a car, a plane, if it's a motorcycle, how many cylinders, if it's gas or electric. Like yep. those of us who are into automotive or into or into um, um, vehicles of any sort, like we're all really cut from the same stone. We all have that same lust for something automotive, and you know, I think the, you know, with at the risk of sounding like a hippie, I think we'd all be better off if we just you know, acknowledge that similarity. So, Does that mean that yeah. you're an old hippie? Yeah. <laughs> Get, getting there with all, with, yeah, ah, God willing. Don't my lawn. So we, we, we joked real quick earlier about my, my bucket list trips that you're taking for me. Uh, now that you've done all these <laughs> rallies, are there, are there any rallies that you really want to take that are attainable? I'm not talking about, you know, the Mille Miglia or something here. I'm talking about any stuff that's, really attainable that you want to do that you haven't done yes there yeah oh yeah for sure i mean there, there's a whole host of them um you know that are worldwide and for me there is um a circuit that is overseas that does all sorts of different types of rallies and um and you know i talked to with the rally organizer and i don't know if and how or when we can make this happen but they have high altitude uh, you know, rallies up in the mountains. They have a whole UK rally. They've got a an east to west Germany huge loop. They've got an Arctic one that's overseas um, over there. That's Norway, Norway, yeah, Sweden, all, Finland, all Latvia, of, Lithuania, Estonia. Yeah, like Andy said. Um, but so essentially, I would love to be able to do something like that. But I mean, I know that there are other women that are friends of mine that would love to do the the gazelle rally or, you know, I've got a, gazelle rallies in Morocco. Sorry. Yeah. In, in Morocco. Or we've that's got cool. friends of ours that have rallied in Dakar as well. Yeah, you know, I, Dakar like, is like, Dakar to I just me is like, cover that. Dakar is like, hey, maybe I'll enter a Formula One race. Like that's not gonna, no. it's that's, just that's not how it works. Millions of dollars to even but do it. But the, these, these European ones are um, through an organization called, oh, go ahead, Mercedes wants no, no, to no, say, that's okay. go ahead. No, that's okay. Mercedes, well, anyways, what she was gonna say was it's through an organization called Superlative Adventures, Adventure Club, and uh, our Superlative Adventures, and they're based out of Germany. <laughs> and uh, they they have a whole bunch of, uh, of of the rallies like Mercedes was explaining, and so that's that's certainly on our our short list. So whether or not whether that means we you know fly over there and use somebody's car or buy somebody's car or ship a car, I don't know yet, but that's definitely on on the bucket list for us. Very cool. Okay, what were you gonna I've say? Never, I've I've never even heard of those rallies, so the press might need uh, a little help there. So. You can definitely right. do that for them. But, you know, I, I think... The, what, go ahead, Andrew. What's the old car one <clears throat> that's like Beijing to Paris? Is that... Long Peking road? to Paris. Well, is that still going on? It was used, used to be called Peking to Paris, but I don't know what it's called. There's, there's, there's a number rally? of those. Mongol, oh, yeah. Mongol Get a friend rally. of ours, Ian, that have done yeah. that. Yeah, our friend Ian, uh, if Ian's listening, shout out to Ian Andrews. Um, he, uh, he did it a few years back in a Morris Minor with like three other dudes right. in a Morris Minor. Yeah. Awesome. And they, uh, it's a, I believe you have 30 days to do it. Yeah, it's or a like month long. Months. It's something like that. It's ridiculous. And if you go to Subcompact Culture, my website, our website, and look up uh, Mongol Rally, you'll find a couple of videos of, of his that he made. And uh, 
I already know what I want for a vehicle. I want to use a Mitsubishi. Uh, um, Mighty Max. No, a Mitsubishi. So you're you're. <laughs> I just oh, get on, so right? geeked out about this. The you you are penalized for like going over 1100 cc's or something like that um so i would like to use a mitsubishi minica van and do it because you've got four-wheel drive you've got some space all that stuff but then they oftentimes i guess they donate the vehicles to people who live in mongolia and whatnot so um anyway i i would love to do the mongol rally someday so you can tell there's not a shortage of answers we're, we're full of it well i didn't that, think so yeah yeah we're all full of it. It's why we have a podcast. It's fine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I'm not. Uh, I, I don't think I'm going to go to Europe anytime soon. But there's there's a ton of rallies that I see, you know, coverage of here in the states. And you know, unfortunately, when the general public hears rally, they hear they think Gold Rush rally or Gumball rally or all these you know rich totally. playboys behaving badly on the street, and it gives kind of a bad name to what we want to do. But we need right. to really kind of separate ourselves from that somehow. But there's tons of yeah. vintage car rallies and I really want to do some of them. So someday we'll, think, we'll get out there for sure. I think you put, you, you raise a valid point too. When we say rally, I feel like most of the people we talk to picture, you know, Colin McRae sliding sideways through a corner or something like that. You know, it's like, no, that's stage rally. That's different than road rally. And, when we do road rally, we're part of the Cascade Sports Car Club, which is ironic because we own nothing that even is even slightly sporty. Well, it's our local Oregon club. Yeah, it's a great, great organization. And it's you, most of the people who are doing it are not, are probably under, are probably over 40 or 50. And I we love doing it. And, well, and, and it's, it's, rally for the most part is very different than racing rallying is unless you're talking about you know stage rallying or like you know world rally cross when it was and that type of thing rallies are usually time speed distance rallies at or below speeds on public roads or public trails and most of the times it's it's much slower so if anything you're you're like you know, not holding up traffic. It's but accuracy. I mean, it's, it's accuracy. So it's it's like, right, you know, if you're um, archery, right, if you're shooting archery and you're, you know, not like, you know, sailing it above the bullseye way off in the distance, it's you have to be how accurate you are to the bullseye. It's how you are with the time, speed, distance, driving aspect of it and navigation aspect of it. So you have to be on route, on point, on time. Um, racing is a whole nother thing, like the Sonora Rally, the, you know, the, the um, Baja 1000, the Nora Rally, those types of things, I believe, are all like go fast, go long, go hard in the desert. So completely different thing. Um, so w- we're trying to do our part to distinguish those. And like, for instance, the Rebel Rally is the same thing. It's not a race. It's on, you know, public lands. It's all on public roads, that type of thing. It's not racing whatsoever. That's that's why I say we need to get rid of the 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 stigma that the public has because of pe- people like the Gold Rush Rally and whatnot that do cause trouble right. and do race right. on totally agree. Roads, but totally agree. One well, is similar. I, like, I've but- lost so many TSDs. Oh, <laughs> oh yeah, so we. Our best showing was we took third place at a uh, at a, at a, the Cascade Sports Car Club Ghouls Gamble a Halloween themed rally, but uh, that was our that was our top showing, but. Well, that was because we were novice. I mean, right now we're at SOP or the, you know, the seat of pants class, which is where the majority of everybody is. And there's a lot of people that have done it for years and still stay in that class. And we just graduated, so to speak, into that class because we felt like we couldn't be novice anymore. 
Um, and we're just, you know, most times getting our butts handed to us. But I mean, our goal is to finish, right? Hopefully not finish last, finish strong, finish within our own power and do well and not get lost and not get stuck. And if we do, we get ourselves out. So. Well, you say you guys have finished third, so that's pretty good because I think Andrew and I combined have never finished better than third from last. So excellent job. <laughs> yeah. Maybe we did, <laughs> well, did six out of like. Eight. We've got lost yeah. turn. <laughs> Well, and that's the biggest thing. Like Andy said, we've got lots to learn. And as long as you, you know, you have fun and you challenge yourself and you are, you know, you're mechanically sympathetic to the vehicle you're driving. Um, I think that's another huge bit of it. And I mean, you know, for instance, the um, Winter 5000 rally, the Alcan 5000 that we did, you know, we, we second, we placed second in the historic class. Well, we were of two candidates, right? So yeah, um, second you know, place and last place, last place, but you know, it, it's one of those things where I think if you if you have fun and if you treat each other well, because usually there's driver and a navigator and you just really get there. And if you get there dead last and if something happens and if you don't even finish, at least to me, getting to the start line is a win. You know, there's a lot of people that don't even want to take the time or want to push themselves to get to that point. So for me, I think just pushing yourself enough to even get to that point and then trying is, is a huge win. That's a valid point. I'd never thought about that. Like we do things that a lot of people don't even do. So it's it's neat yeah. to be a part of it. I'd say my my greatest annoyance was actually I think it was the only I think it was the last TST IW Brad was we did the winter challenge. And I think in the time since I finished it twice, hit all checkpoints, got the finisher plaque, which is the dumbest little thing to get want to get. It's a silly little dashboard plaque, but it's a really hard John Buffum's winter challenge rally is insanely hard. Uh, people that win it win it with like 60 points or something Ooh. like something ridiculous like wow. they're so good at uh, and this is from 3 p.m. till 3 a.m. Oh, oh that's an and interesting they, one and they'll he he starts it I believe so he starts the first section is tulips the second section is a map oh. you have to read and interpret the line on the map and then I think the last section was just written directions. Oh, that's and interesting. On top of it, John Buffum is an evil genius, and he'll go out and make changes to the course. There's traps. Mid, it. He says there's no traps, traps, but he throws, oh, he throws oh, traps Oh, I love it. it. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah, we um, don't do well with traps. <laughs> but, uh, but Brad and I made, I know we made every checkpoint, but we were late to one, yep. and so we didn't get it. Uh, uh, we missed it by like one. And that was uh, that was our Alcan five thousand because we were in a Mitsubishi uh, or a Dodge Raider, and uh, it was it was also very cold out and it was snowing and uh, I think it was negative fourteen or it was fourteen well, degrees. It was very well, cold. We'll oh. call it our. It was our like Alcan two hundred. That's what that was. <laughs> it was very, very cold. Yeah. Well, med, med props for a Dodge Raider. Yeah, um, for we real. Were actually, six we, cylinder or four cylinder. Oh, four cylinder. Well, like oh, three and a half. <laughs> nice. Well, um, for the 2020 Winter Alcan, when when Jerry Hines, the rally owner of the circuit, um, had found out that we were wanting to run a crazy right-hand drive uh, Pajero diesel, he had asked two us- Two door. Yeah, two door um, diesel. He had asked us to be, if we were interested to be a tribute vehicle to the late, great, legendary uh, Rod Hall racer, desert racer. He's done the Baja yep. 5000, or I'm sorry, Baja 1000. I think he's 
like entered it and won it, a, you know, dozens of times. And he's entered more and won more than people have even decided to enter and compete in, um, among other things. And so, um, you know, there are some some glorious women that are friends of mine in my life, Sue Mead, and then also Emily Miller that have been taught by Rod. And so he's an instrumental person in the desert and racing community as a whole. And for when we were asked to be a tribute vehicle um, to him, he had just passed away in, in 2019. And he had, what year was it? He was sponsored by Dodge and the Dodge Raider. Yeah, it was, was I it think 84? it was 84. Well, the 84 was the first year, but I think it was, a, well, that was yeah, the first was, year of the month. It was Montero, in the 80s. It was in, a, well, I think it was in 80, it was, the rally was in 88. So it was probably in 87 or in 88. So he was asked, so he had driven the Yalcan 5000 rally. And so he was in a team and had done all of the extreme uh, challenges and gone up to Anuvik and then beyond. And and so our job as a tribute vehicle was A, to pay homage to uh, Rod Hall and his family and his run in the 80s with the Dodge Raider as a cousin vehicle or a sister vehicle, but then also to hopefully recreate his steps um, you know, in 2020, in which we were very successful. And it, we froze our tails off, but we did. Ironically, we were also told uh, as, as they... They announced that at the beginning of the rally, and then they also mentioned that apparently he hated the Raider. So, <laughs> so which we don't know because well. I've never had a chance to meet him. But, um, but we were. He got something to, in common to, with Andrew. Andrew. Andrew hated my Raider too, so it works out. Yeah. <laughs> oh. <laughs> well, it wasn't so much that he hated Raiders; he just hated my Raider because it was terrible. I see. I yeah. see. Yes. Oh, that's funny. Actually, uh, it's funny. The Rod Hall Racing still exists, uh, his namesake, uh, and I see them actually every so often on Highway 17 or 10 out here, uh, going to oh, event events cool. with their with their trailers. Yeah, yeah, they have there's, red. Modern there's Shelby now, Hall. So. There's Chad Hall. There's a whole entire family. I had the extreme yep. pleasure to meet a few of them um, at the Off Road Motorsports Hall of Fame, um, Ormhoff when they did the dedication to Rad Hall, um, you know, in, in Vegas. And so that was right before the SEMA show uh, in 2019, I think it was 2019. And so I had the pleasure to meet his his wife and, and a few of the family members. And, and I hold that very near and dear. I mean, I, I never had a chance to meet Rod in person, um, but I know a couple of people that were very, very close to him, uh, Amy Lerner as well. And, and, and Amy Lerner um, runs Dakar. And so she ran that, now twice, uh, I believe. And so, you know, for her, she made or she's just finishing up and just uh, I think it was already an award winner of a couple of different independent films made uh, one more win, I believe, is the name of the the movie that she a documentary that she had put together about Rod Hall and his legacy and his the challenges he had and everything. I've yet to see it. But, um, you know, I think with Sumid um you know amy lerner emily miller you can see there are multiple women and of course a lot of men too but multiple women that i know that have really been positively moved uh and and dedicated their lives to help pay it forward excellent cool as we finish up here um what's the uh What's the current car fleet looking like at the culture crankshaft culture compound? Yeah, <laughs> it's always in flux. Um, so right now, what isn't in flux is ninety one Mitsubishi Pajero XP, which is the one that has uh, went up to the Alcan, and then we have a ninety two Mitsubishi Pajero XR two, 
which has a new engine in it uh, as of a little over about a year and a half ago. It's got a Hyundai D4BF swapped into it, which is uh, basically the uh, the 4D56, but the tooling was sold to Hyundai, and so it's got a better water-cooled Garrett Turbo in it, uh, new injection pump. Uh, well, it's a brand-new engine. And that's the one, the white one, um, white that has one. overflares with silver overflares and right. trim to it. And that's the one that Andy uses a lot uh, throughout the years as far as winch uh, recovery demonstrations right. and classes. Exactly. So, And then we have uh, <laughs> our 94 Delica Space Gear. Uh, that's the one that's been going to a bunch of shows. We traveled. We, we digitally nomaded around and yeah. that, and in that one. And then, um, and then we have... Uh, currently, we have a still have our 2007 Toyota Yaris that's all lowered and sway barred and all kinds of stuff. That one may be departing us shortly after 14 years of ownership. Uh, we just bought a 2022 Subaru Crosstrek uh, with the six-speed manual, so uh, we'll have. We're not going to keep that stock. We have some plans for that, and then uh, working with a, working with a few companies, doing some cool things. Uh, so those are the cars that we currently own. Uh, apparently, we have a new 2023 Nissan 400Z coming for a loan here in, shortly, in like two weeks, and then uh, that uh, 20 or that new uh, Outback uh, Wilderness f- that we're going to do the Alcan with as well. So it'll be a, it'll be a crowded fleet in the Lilienthal driveway, but uh, it's all good. We yeah, always make right. room. That's right. It's all part of being a car person, having too many things. This is of true. Of course, and hope our neighbors don't hate us. This is true. Did the um I'm trying to think now. I so my wife bought a 2018 Crosstrek when they came out. It's a six speed. Yep. But I think it's only got like 150 horsepower. Did they up the horsepower or they change the mapping? No. Um well they came out with the Crosstrek Sport that has the two five in it, but you could only oh, get that's the difference. You could only get the uh, CVT with yeah, that. You can't get the so stick in it. Um, I would rather have the I would rather have the manual personally, even if it's a little bit lower horsepower. We're diehard uh, stick stick kinda, ship yeah. people, so everything we yeah. own has a manual transmission. So um, yeah. yeah, but so far we we've got a whopping like 113 miles on the cross track, and uh, we just got it. But we've uh, driven a lot around town and and uh, on some of the interstates and so on and so Quite forth. And I'm just yeah, not used to a quiet. <laughs> um, a quiet modern vehicle. I'm like, oh my god! It's like, very it's quiet. so people would be like, m- my guess is, you know, I I don't know. I'm so not used to having a quiet, smooth riding vehicle. It's like driving a Rolls Royce for me. So the Super Cross Trek is the Rolls Royce of the Lilienthal household. So uh, I so far I'm really digging it. So ditto. Yeah, we've gotten good good fuel mileage out of it. It's got a big tank too, which also kind of tricks you. Oh, oh it's good um, to know. Uh, it's almost like 15 gallons. Yeah, it's wow. A it's a big tank. So, But then driving on the highway, doing like 70 miles an hour, you'll get like 38 miles per gallon. Wow. 38? Really? Yeah. Wow. I would be very happy with maybe that. Thir- maybe, maybe, I'm, maybe I'm overstating that. I think on the display, it's like 35. I'm. I'm thinking oh. my Volkswagen does like 38. Oh, okay. Well, that'd be nice. I think the EPA rating on what highway is what 28 yeah, or something. It's not much. It's not very high. But people have I've read have said it's like underrated. They're easily able to get over 30 yeah. miles a gallon with it. Which, well, that'd be nice. We took a it trip. It was interesting because the CVT was rated with a higher MPG. Right. right. 
But I'm like, how could that possibly? When we were buying it, I'm like, in my head, I'm like, that doesn't make any sense because there's more drag on that than a just having a manual transmission. Yeah, I don't know. We just we took a, a trip down to California in our Yaris, our lowered Yaris with intake header, Golden Eagle intake manifold, exhaust, blah 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 blah, and um, and I don't know. I maybe it's just getting older, but like, yeah, we like our backs hurt. And we're just like, my God, this thing oh. is great around town, but it's just not great on long trips anymore. That's because we both have bed backs now. So, I mean, the car, the Yaris has been a great little car. And Oh, yeah, for know, sure. Been super. We, we want to make sure if we sell it, um, we've got a, a friend of ours that is, is, you know, in mind already that is very interested in it. But, you know, it's been a great vehicle, I think, for us, though, with our backs. And we've had some changing things. It's like, you know, we just need something with a little bit more comfort and, you know, some, something with a little bit more room to be able to haul stuff because, um, you know, it'd be a cross-country trip vehicle um, that's all-wheel drive to be able to drive us in the winter to get across the country to visit family in the Midwest. It's one of the quintessential reasons that we bought it. It's not like we don't like depending on 30-year-old JDM vehicles with diesel <laughs> engines to cross the country in in the wintertime. Well, we but did in the Arctic. I know. But yeah, no. We had, a high, we had a 98 Honda CRV for a little while, um, and uh, that was a, a good little car except for the breakdown we had in Montana on the way um, back from our cross country trip. Yeah. But our first one. Yeah. And that actually, that proved two things to us. First thing was it's nice to have a, a, a comfortable four, four door all wheel drive car to drive cross country in, in the winter. That was the positive thing. And then the negative thing was, it's not awesome to have an old car crossing the U S in the winter. And the alternator goes out in a town of 81 people and AAA won't come get you. And uh, it well, was, thank uh, goodness we got service just then and there. Yeah, it was uh, yeah. it was a thing. So we decided maybe you know, we have an elderly fa- family back in the Midwest, love you moms. But uh, uh, you know we wanted to have something we could get in a car and drive back to Wisconsin if we needed to. And it, and a you know thirty year old Pajero is just like it. It's probably going to do it, but I don't have to worry about it. So yeah, this is the rub, right? Like I love having the old cars but the two our two dailies are a 19 and an 18 car yeah yeah because you can't with a, a two-year-old toddler i'm like i can't i can't not to get work and i can't not go pick them up if i need to or bring them somewhere or have it the car broken down next to the side of the road oh, it's right. just a huge pain because what am i gonna do with a car seat get in a tow truck like it's annoying Right, totally. And it, I think for us, I mean, we both work from home. You know, we, we talk about the digital nomad life again. It comes full circle. It's, it's you know, as long as we have outlet and Wi-Fi when we need it, we can work where wherever, whenever. And, and it, you know, really, it doesn't matter what part of the world. So we just don't really need two, you know, dailies plus three off-roaders. I mean, um, you know, I think the cross track is, is we're going to build it up, um, you know, lots to be, uh, talked about there for future. Um, and I'm sure it'll, you know, work its way into different publications, but our three, four by fours that we have, we, we write about them on a regular basis. You know, we talk about the mishaps, we talk about the upgrades, we talk about our adventures with them and, and why we bought what we bought and that they're more analog and they're not so digital and technological, technologically, no, technology, technologically. Yes. I can't talk anymore. <laughs> technologically um, dependent. Um, So, you know, there's all about the, I had a conversation earlier today with someone about analog driving and about being able to fix things in the field versus all of a sudden going into limp mode and you have to get it towed back because an EC or something decided to freak out and you can't get it towed back. So 
um, you know, we we eat, breathe, think, and live cars, you know, on-road, off-road cars. And for us, it's just, it's a constant evolution, but we just, we just love it. It will be the first time if we sell this Yaris that I will not have had a lowered car since 1999. That so. we will have not had. So. Excellent. Cool. Well, I'm, I'm the masochist of the group because I don't have any modern cars anymore, but that's okay. So. <laughs> I do, I do miss it already. That's all right. I do, I do we miss. Still love you. I, I, I do miss the uh, turnkey, not worry about it, sitting it at lunchtime with the air conditioning, blasting my face off. Don't don't really have that right now, but that's okay. It is nice. It definitely relieves it some is, stress when you don't have it is, to it is nice. on the daily to get to work. It is. It is so, nice. This is yeah. true. Um, anyway, I lived I, that life when I was younger. I don't want to live it now. That's right. fine. I came full circle. I worked enough to not do it, so I can... It's much more fun to do it for pleasure than to do it out of necessity. That That's totally true. true. I That's remember true. I remember those days on it's Sunday at like 10 o'clock at night and you're laying under the car going, I've got to get this fixed to get to work. I, I, I'm glad to have multiple vehicles that at least two of them out of the five of them will run. Yeah. And, you know, so at least I, I, I've always, I've usually got a great chance of getting to where I need to go in some ridiculous clown car hey, of some sort. all of ours so. are runners no that's true we should mark this date as july 5th 2022 and all of the lilienthal vehicles run under their own power oh my god you make it sound like we're constantly up on jacks with nothing running they're not well usually we have one that's got something you'll fit, right, you'll fit right in so it's okay you can be that way for sure yeah <laughs> we do have a parasitic amtra issue on the 91 that i've yeah, hey, remedied hey, hey. by uh putting battery Kill disconnects switches. on so but anyway I'm undergoing yeah. surgery soon. I still got to figure that one out. But. Excellent. Working on it. Well, as always, we want to thank you guys for coming on. Uh, we look forward to seeing lots of coverage from the Alcan, for sure. I look forward Thanks to those. Thanks for having uh, us. Yeah, thank you so much for having us. It's always it's always awesome to, to be on the, on the show. Love it. Why don't you uh, plug your socials? Where can people find you? Yeah, so crankshefculture.com. Uh, associated social media includes Instagram at crankshefculture, Twitter at crankshefcult. Uh, we do have a YouTube channel, uh, you, Crankshaft Culture, as you might have guessed. And then uh, Facebook, Crankshaft Culture. Also join the Crankshaft Culture community, which is our, our group. It's a super, super group of about, I think we got like 900 people in there. Did you mention Instagram, Crankshaft Culture? Uh, I did. Okay. Got it. And you'll be able to find me at Mercedes Lilienthal, L-I-L-I-E-N-T-H-A-L. Uh, I will be posting articles as they go live. Um, and then also podcasts and radio shows and all that type of stuff, along with Andy, I'll be tagging uh, that in addition to Crank Chef Culture. So you can find us in a wide variety of spots. Excellent. Cool. Hey, Brad, where can they find you? Uh, they can find me on Instagram at T-S-I-S-S-3-5-0. And you, Andrew? All right. Well, the podcast is on Off Topic Podcast on Facebook, on Off Topic on Instagram, on Off Topic on Twitter. Uh, there is our Scale Diecast uh, coming soon podcast. We promise. That's Ooh. on Instagram right now, Scale Autocast. Um, and I am Race and Anger on Instagram and Twitter. And uh, oh, yeah, you can message us about the Discord server. We had a couple new people join this week. So. That's fun. We all have all kinds of little chat rooms there for, I guess you'd call it a chat room, maybe. Sure. Showing my age. 
Discord <laughs> we have different Discord servers then about uh we have one for project cars and like uh car spot in the wild, stuff like that. So one for scale fun, cars. a bunch of like minded people. Yeah, there's one for scale cars. So yeah, as always. Guys, thanks for coming on and uh keep your cars analog and aim with the roses. Thanks so much for having us. Thanks. <laughs>